Warren to the Fourth Dimension and welcome to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. I'm Emma, he's Mike, and joining us uh, for another week is the lovely Mr. Rick from Starbase 66. How are you doing, sir? I'm grand, thanks. How are you all tonight, today, this morning, whatever it is? <laughs> we are hot still, and... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And uh, before we get to the main topic in hand, there's been some exciting news from uh, from the Americas as uh, San Diego Comic-Con is in full swing, as we recalled, and mm. uh, some Doctor Who things have happened. Yes. Yes. Um, so obviously they got uh, a proper teaser trailer, apart from the one we got uh, the, during the World Cup. And I have to say, it doesn't show off a hell of a lot, but no. it's still sort of like super hype. Oh yeah, um, I'm incredibly hype. Um, I say there was a bit of moaning about that that teaser because uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, Rick, if you caught this, but um, so the July the fifteenth, so that will be you know about ten days. Ago, no, hang on a minute, a while ago now. Yeah, um, is that the is that the one where I it, I was like I wanted to call you guys and go, can you explain what the fuck that was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically it was just a teaser essentially because mm. what it was it was it was shown during halftime of the World Cup final, so. Um, there was some some vain hope that England would be participating in said final. <laughs> I mean, if um, uh, yeah, I mean we got close, got yeah. close, semis, but semis. It's not good so enough. It's not good enough. It's but never um, good enough. Um, uh, yeah, so um, there was a, a very brief teaser trailer. We're just sort of showing the characters and uh, sort of molding it, sort of adding into like uh, them watching the World Cup and things like that. So that was oh, was that what so they people, were doing? Okay. Yeah, so that's is watching his phone and that sort of yeah. So it was sort of um, you know sort of linking into the the sort of the excitement that was going on at the time because it was Wimbledon final day as well. So mm-hmm. it was a big sport day that day. So yeah. it was sort of watch it on the bbc and also watch doctor who on the bbc sort of thing but this uh but the last couple of days you've actually had a full trailer yeah. it's sort of like a, a, a 40 second trailer and uh yes i'm extremely hype about it it does seem like uh jody's definitely going for like a i feel like an 11th doctor vibe early mm. 11th doctor vibe at the moment yeah, and yeah that's definitely. incredibly exciting yeah absolutely um like i say don't we really get to see like very much of like in terms of like um, villains or anything like that, it's basically just the Doctor and her companions mucking around. Um, and we did end up seeing the new screwdriver. Yes. So what do we all think of it? <laughs> Does it strike anyone else as like two Sonics like melted together? Like it's like a bodged yeah. together kind of melange out of the TARDIS console or something. It does does have that sort of feel to it. It does look like it's, it's sort of like been knocked together very quickly. Yes. Um, the problem is there is an, another opinion going around uh, the interviews. Oh, well, that, that that opinion was inevitable. It could have yeah. been, it could have been anything, and you would have heard that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just that, that's all I have to say. I just said, oh fuck's sake, people. Oh, yeah. do you think do you think that's the end of the tiresome opinions oh, we're no. going to hear? I, no, I don't no, not, obviously so. not. But. <laughs> yeah. um, now, um, it does seem hang on, like... Hang on, hmm? Be- before you... Um, I'm trying to find a picture of it, because I think I'm, I missed it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, is it this, like, sort of curvy-looking thing? Yeah, yeah the silver like, one. The light. Yeah. Okay, what, what... Oh, never mind, I think I can now guess what the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> if anyone's confused, get an adult to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, so uh, it, 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 and but thing is, I think the sort of the main takeaway from Comic Con, I mean, it's still ongoing. I think is today the last day, Sunday, or is it going on through Monday so. also? 
think today's the last day, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, but I think the the, the how sort of Jodie seems to have taken to it. I mean, because she did a panel and then she's done like other panels and she mm-hmm. turned up sort of a, a, a like a fashion show sort of unexpectedly. So she yeah. seems to be sort of embracing the the you know the culture and all that sort of thing. So I mean, that is really cool to see. Oh yeah, I mean, um, I think it was it was her universe, I think, which is sort of like a, a geeky sort of brand. So the coat you actually see her wearing when she like sort of um, crashes it is actually like a cosplay version of her actual right, yeah. coat. Um, so that was quite neat. Um, that was good. That did get a good uh, pop, and um, I'm sure Ricky will be aware that um, Karen, your uh, co-host on Starbase sixty six, has been uh, all about that Jody. I think. No, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, there's some interesting news also coming out from Comic-Con from uh, Chris Chibnall, is that uh, Series 11 will feature largely all new monsters and villains, so that might mean even the Daleks might not appear. Yeah, there is there is rumours there's going to be no Daleks. Um, I mean, I, I was given to understand, and I think a lot of people hold the same... Uh, understanding is that in order to retain the rights of the Daleks, they have to show them at least once in a series. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why the sort of weird inexplicable appearance in, in waters of Mars. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how long they are required to be on the screen. I mean, could they just have a picture of them on a computer and then flick away and that will do. I'm sure. I mean, because well, when you think like some of the, like um, wedding river song, like a Dalek just like shows up in pieces for a brief, yes. like for, like not more than five seconds, really. So yeah, I think uh, at least some sort of screen time somehow is enough to sort of like quell the um, thirst from the Terry Nation estate. But I think well, it's a, mm. is is it also possible? Uh, and you know, maybe this is me just being a cynical American. Uh, you know, Doctor Who is experiencing maybe not. The, the height of its popularity, but certainly it's on the it's on the rise again. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think the David Tennant years were the were the peak, uh, yes. the second peak of, of the current Doctors, anyway. Um, but is it possible that the BBC just finally has had enough and they said, "Look, <laughs> we don't need your your salt shakers anymore." You know, and you either hmm. take it hmm. or uh, you know, because I mean. I think that it, that they've they've certainly milked the damn Daleks for as much as they could get out of them, and the only people that stand to lose from this deal falling apart is Terry Nation's estate, I would imagine. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a big gamble because I mean if they if they call your bluff and say right then we'll take the Daleks away and that's it, I mean you could you could certainly do without them for a couple of years. I mean you know John Pertwee's Doctor never had a Cyberman adventure and he was fine for that. Um, could it be could it be done that Jodie Whittaker never has a Dalek story? I mean, it would be you know irregular, but it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. But it's beyond that. I mean, hmm. how long are you willing to stay? You know, how long do you think someone before someone blinks? I mean, can you go five years? Can you go ten years? Fifteen? I well, mean, I, think, that, I don't the think they've it. got a very long shelf life. That's the thing. I think that you know, I, I have no idea if there's any legal or legal wrangling going on with this at all. Um, but I could, you know, I could see the lawyers going, all right, look, we're not going to use the Daleks this season. You can either 
just shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Or we wait two years before anyone that gives a shit about the Daleks doesn't care anymore. And then we just go on with the show. Yeah, I mean, but I I don't know if it's just the show or it would affect things like books and games and toys and action figures and all that other stuff that you can sell people, whether the Daleks are on the telly or not, you know what I mean? So... I don't know. It's a big gamble. I think. I yeah. just think there's such, they're so, kind of almost they're so interwoven with Doctor yeah. Who. It, it feels difficult to sort of say, okay, we could get rid of them for a year, two years, but after that, people are going to start getting itchy for them to come back. And you know, if if you've kind of pissed off the estate of Terry Nation to that degree by saying they're not going to be on the show and and that's that, then like I say, I mean. Who who's going to blink first? I, I, I don't know if the BBC would take that risk. I mean, you'd like them to, but because I think you're right, Rick. I think that you know they they could do with a year off. But if you can get away with just showing them for five seconds and there's not actually a, a, a Dalek full Dalek story, then you know do that. If you can get away with that, I think then it keeps everyone happy. It fulfills the their legal obligations to Terry Nation's estate, but they're not lumbered by having to do a whole Dalek story. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I. And I like you say, they're so interwoven with Doctor Who. It would be almost kind of like having a Star Trek series with no Klingons in it. Yeah. Um, well. I, mean, it's, I mean, you could easily do it, but you know, there's always going to be that contingent of fans or whoever going, "Hang on, where's where's the Klingons or where's the Daleks and things like that." I mean, it's it's nice that they're actually going to try and push the boat out and do like all new monsters and villains. That's great. Um, I mean, I suppose it depends on how well these new um, villains and monsters like stick the landing because I mean yeah. there's been some great new one uh, great ones in the new series but we haven't really they haven't been that reoccurring but probably because the central core idea of them is so um, difficult to, it's, like, it's very hard to like do more with them so like say, say the weeping angels or the fashion and Rada or the boneless even you know the cool concepts but how far do you try and keep bringing them back before you sort of run out of steam with them you know that's mm-hmm. the problem i mean you know the weeping angels i mean they are you know are probably the the most recognizable and iconic monster that are sort of creation since the show has come back mm. um and you know they've been in a couple of stories and they felt overused yeah you know yeah. after after time of angels everyone was kind of like yeah we're done with them mm-hmm. you know once once it was like you know angels take manhattan and everyone was like Really? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and then they haven't been back since. And, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of telling. So hmm. when you've got a monster like the Daleks that you can use over and over and over again, and, you know, with varying degrees of success, yes, but, I mean, they have had success. So, you know, it, it's difficult as well. I mean, it's difficult to sort of say no to a golden goose like that, is it? I mean, especially hmm. when you can put them on the telly every year and sell shirts and books and toys guaranteed i mean it's difficult isn't it mm-hmm. well let me ask let me ask you something um because i've never looked this up i've just taken it as 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 a given is this deal between terry nation's estate and the bbc for real is there actual evidence that this exists i don't know this is the thing i mean because people uh, when i was th- this was being discussed online after this rumor came around there was people saying that this deal was apocryphal, that it's not really real, that, but then there are people that claim that, no, this is definitely a thing and, you know, that's the way it is sort of thing. But, I mean, it's it's weird because, 
like if you take the Cybermen, which are equally iconic, invented by Kit Peddler, mm-hmm. they they just put when the when the Cybermen appear, they just say created by Kit Peddler in the in the in in the um in the credits, and yeah. then that's it. And there's no there's no sort of same deal with his estate. So, but I mean, Kit Peddler wasn't Terry Nation, so it's I don't know. It might it might well be entirely apocryphal, but I've always been, uh, as far as I was aware, it, that is the case that the BBC and Terry Nation's estate have this sort of well, fractious. Yeah. Well, I think agreement. It, must, it must be real to some degree because otherwise, you know, what's the point of having like a brief Dalek appearance in Waters of Mars or yeah. um, R- Wedding of River Song? You know, they didn't yeah. need to be there. It's, I mean, yes, it's a little bit of fan service, but you know, otherwise, you know, what was the point? So it must be it must be a thing to some degree. I don't know whether it's a case of you must show the Daleks every year, you'll never get them back ever, ever, ever again, or whether it's just hey, it would be nice if. I don't know whether it's a case of some corners of the internet sort like blowing it out of proportion by saying, you know, it must be this. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I I don't know why the B. I mean, the, let's say. I mean, I'm sure it will come up. Be come under public scrutiny. I mean, because obviously public money is involved in the BBC, which makes mm. things double complicated. But if you like, if they were a private corporation of any sort of way, they would have just bought the rights exactly. ages ago. Because almost any amount of money is worth it because of the marketability of the Daleks. Mm. Surely, mm-hmm. so you know. Yeah, it's it's just odd. And granted, I mean, the Daleks were like in the second episode, right? Uh, second or third is when they first showed up. Yeah, this the second whole serial of uh, the show's beginning. This, yeah, this so Alex, maybe yeah. maybe things were different back then. It just seemed, you know, it's not like uh, the... Oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. It's not like the guy that, that created the Horda and the Gorn and phasers and communicators and all that stuff that you know it's not like they have to pay his estate every time they use them yeah i think it's that sort of weird thing because they they brought in writers from the outside so there was that thing of obviously if you work for the bbc everything you make for the bbc is a bbc's property Mm -hmm. but terry nation was like outside of it so he retained the rights to it so that's it's complicated yeah and Mm. and considering (laughs) really it was the daleks that cemented doctor who's future you know why wouldn't Terry Nation want to go, hey, you know, if you're going to keep using them, remember, they sort of made your show the juggernaut that it is. You know, I'd like a cut. So it only sort of makes sense that there's this deal in place. You know, it's one of the things that keeps it going. I guess it's it just it's unusual in hmm. in the world of television for for it is. A I writer. mean, that's that's why it's on been ongoing for so long i think <laughs> just there's probably just people producers and stuff just kicking the can down the road because they don't want to have to deal with this <laughs> every, every year just just yeah just fucking put them in and don't worry about it and you know and we'll worry about that in a couple of years time the next producer can sort it out and hmm. yeah that's kind of how we we've ended up where we are i do want i mean i wonder if a few you know years ago they should have just done the thing like they did to hr geiger with the aliens and stuff and he, he didn't acknowledge him at all, and then he sort of threw a strop, and they just changed what they were away from his designs, essentially. No, it's not your aliens anymore, son. Sorry, bye! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, another bit of information that's come out from uh, Chibnall is that there are no multi-part stories in Series 11. He says, it's ten standalone episodes, there's no two-parts or anything like that. What we want is for people to feel like we've got the range and variety of Doctor Who for this year. So if you've never seen it before, you're going to fall in love with it. And if you have seen it, you're going to get those things that you love about the show across the 10 episodes. Um, so it kind of sounds like there's not even going to be like a story arc 
<laughs> well, I mean, perhaps, I mean, that's unusual in this day and age, but I do wonder if it's a case of maybe that's not a horrendous idea mm. because Moffat was all about the interweaving story and, you know, callbacks and all that sort of thing. And I think that that might just be a bit of a reaction to it in that we just want straight up adventure stories and then we can get into the more complicated stuff later on. Yeah. And I think sort of like in sort of Moffat's latter years, this sort of arcs that he was trying to do weren't all that great. I mean, remember last series, he had the mystery of the vault and that was solved within what, six episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, ah, it is Missy, whatever. There you go. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I've, I actually have very little problem with them being completely standalone. Yeah. Uh, um, as, as something of a, a, I wouldn't call myself a casual fan, but you know, certainly not to like the level of you guys. Keeping up with Moffat was exhausting. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be. I mean, you had to you had to sort of know your onions before you went into the next episode. Otherwise, you would get pretty lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the only thing that I'm I'm sort of curious about that approach is obviously because there's a lot of them in that TARDIS, as we've as we as we talked about several times. I mean, there is four of them. Mm-hmm. So, actually, I mean, sort of not having sort of an interweaving story you, you sort of think well how how are they going to make that work sort of with, with modern drama wise you know it, it, they can't really do the thing like they used to that basically these three people just been hatched out of an egg mm-hmm. essentially and then end up in the TARDIS <laughs> yeah. like they used to so I'm, I'm sort of curious how they're gonna sort of give these people backstories and reasons to be on the TARDIS without having sort of a a more complex over, overwhelming uh, not overwhelming but overarching story mm-hmm. if you see what I mean so yeah I'm, I'm I'm just gonna be interested to see sort of how they pull that off if you see what I mean because mm-hmm. that is our me and Mike's main concern about the, the upcoming series is there's all these gits in there how they're gonna give more story and give them more screen time and you know all that sort of thing so well, yeah you know, ba- back in my day you mm. could you know they did that all the time it's yeah it's, it's kind of a return to form almost you know you yeah. can have overarching themes without necessarily having you know a, a serialized show yeah mm-hmm. So I, I think I think well, we're sort of the obviously the, the main comparison for sort of a, a four person TARDIS is the the fifth Doctor Teague and Nyssa and, and Adric era, um, but obviously when they came on the TARDIS they they all sort of a pit, had their own story and then joined the TARDIS, whereas it does feel like these three are kind of all there at once. Mm. So I wonder sort of how they're going to pull that off. But I'm I, I mean I presume it's going to be sort of an episode one thing and. Yeah we'll go from there but we'll see we'll see how they see how they do it mm-hmm. and it's october right i think so yeah i don't know well, no... it just said fall on on the oh, thing it yeah. just says fall 2018 so yeah september october take mm-hmm. you take your pick really yeah um chibnall also confirmed an inclusive lineup for both on screen and off for series 11 he says we have the first writers of color to write on doctor who this year and we have two female writers and three male writers in the guest writer slots um Executive producer Matt Strevens added, uh, Chris and I and the production team wanted to make sure that we were as diverse behind the camera. Uh, the 10-part series will feature an equal female-male director split, according to Chibnall, while all of Series 11's editors, bar one, are also female. So um, that's it's good that they're like, being so inclusive and they like wanted to do, go further even still um, in future good. series. So good, yes. Yeah, good. This is good. Right then, shall we go uh, strand ourselves in the rocks? 
<laughs> yes. So our main topic today, we're going to have a chat about the horror of Fang Rock. Yes. Um, the, the summer of Baker continues with uh, with this story from series fifteen. So um, as as Leela says in the uh, in the story, that uh, you, it's best to listen to the the wisdom of the old ones of your tribe. So with that in mind, Rick, what did you think of this one? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't not do it. I'm no, sorry. Was, well done. <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> and we never um, heard okay. from him again. <laughs> yes, uh, Emma mysteriously disappeared the next day. <laughs> uh, the last time I was here, we talked about the Mask of Mandragora, and mm-hmm. I said that I remembered it being a lot better than it actually was. This one is the exact opposite. Hooray! Uh, I have been giving this episode shit in my mind for 30 years now that it did not warrant. This was an amazing episode. It's good, isn't it? I Um, was just... You know, I I watched it last night, all all in one go, and I was riveted. And um, they didn't didn't do, like, a a remaster of this thing, did they? No. They didn't do anything, a special edition with, like, any... uh, improved effects or anything like that now. Okay, so then I have also been horribly unfair to the special effects on this show because they were nowhere near as bad as I remembered them. You know, in my mind, the scene of the Rutan climbing up the stairs looked literally like a like bubble wrap wrapped around a, a, a green glow stick. Well, that is what it is, essentially, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah, but it's it looked a lot better than I remember it. Now, this is the first time I've yeah. seen it since it first aired in my area of the U.S. in 1984. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, it, I just had these, you know, I, I must have, I was watching it last night and I was like, I was sure that the TV I had in my bedroom at the time was a, was a little 13-inch black and white, but it must have been a color TV. Um you know, I, some of those, chi- you know, childhood memories sort of mix and mash and, and you know, but I, I want, you know, I must have watched it in color because I remember the green lights and stuff. And yes, there are some effects like the Rutan climbing up the outside of the lighthouse and the doctor hanging from the window look absolutely ridiculous. But uh, even those were not as bad as I remembered them, as I thought I remembered them being. Um, but the story is tight. There's no real padding out like we've seen in previous incarnations where it's like, oh, they've got, you know, 30 minutes of story, but they have to pad the thing out to 60 because it's got, you know, or whatever. Um, the acting was wonderful. Uh, I loved how it absolutely spears the British aristocracy as being totally fucking self-serving and useless. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, it, there's just, there was not a thing in this episode I didn't like. And I had also forgotten... Uh, and I thank you for having me watch this because I had forgotten how much I absolutely adore Leela. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, because I I sometimes feel like a bit of a Leela apologist because I think there's there's a, she does get overlooked, and I think it's so unfair because Louise Jameson, who incidentally might be one of the nicest people I've ever met in real life. Um, is um she's so good and you kind of forget how good she is Mm. and i mean i mean i mean if you think about what she's asked to do as a member of this cast that you know she's plucked off this plat you know from a inverted commas primitive tribe or you know sort of a, a 
uh, people that have gone from being technological and have sort of reverted back to sort of Stone Age and then coming back up and all this sort of thing. And she was envisaged as kind of this Eliza Doolittle character that the Doctor would kind of bring along. But considering what that character could have been with that brief, she just mm. knocks it out of the park every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love her, uh, the, the technician line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a nice little callback to Face of Evil. Um, and and every time the, the, the secretary, Adelaide, was that her name? Yeah, Adelaide, Adelaide yeah. yeah. The the eye rolling from Leela was uh, just brilliant. Well, I mean, well, I when, when, she, when she slaps a lump out of her, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, yes, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, yeah. I, I also I also love the uh, the the bit with her. I mean, her, she and Baker play off each other beautifully. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the bit where she says to him, "Do you know? Do not be afraid," and and it just kind of goes past. And I, I'm like, "That's that's hilarious." And then like five minutes later, she's like, "What do you mean? Do not be afraid." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got to say for for this for this episode, you've got to give a shout out to Terry Terrence Dix for this one who wrote it mm-hmm. because it's maybe one of the most Terrence Dix scripts because you know they said we haven't got any money so you've only got like two sets and like four people and the Doctor and Leela and um, we want this this and this and, and do it and this is <laughs> and then he's like here you go so <laughs> you get a very you know, efficient script within sort of with very limited kind of anything to go on and mm. he sort of bangs out this and it's great yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they, they did make a big thing of this in the um, info text on the the DVD, but he originally had, uh, I think it was like a vampire story in mind for mm. this story, but um, unfortunately at the time, the BBC were working on uh, a screen version of Dracula starring Louis Jordan, I believe, and um, the higher-ups just sort of went, oh, no, we can't have this because people might uh, think you're taking the mick out of it, even though they were going to be broadcast like six months apart or something like that. Um, and so he ended up doing this, but you're right. I mean, for for all the action takes place on a small island and a lighthouse, it is pretty jam-packed. I mean, it's it's one of those stories you sort of like look at it on paper and it's like a lighthouse. How much can you really do with that? But, I mean, you're up and down the place, like, all the time. Um, very dynamic. And um, quite an interesting villain is, um, like, the Rutan is just there as, like, a stopping off point. It's more like a strategic position because they're in a war with some Tarans. Um, so it's really, like, the only reason the, the Rutan's actually killing people is it doesn't want any witnesses. Um, it's nothing like anything. It doesn't actually want to take over the world. It just wants this, sort of, leaping off point. So they can try and attack the Santarans again. It's like, yeah, humans, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that thing of you know the, the sort of aliens regarding humans as as humans regard ants and all these sort of mm-hmm. things that it's no problem that you just get rid of these four people, four things. Who cares? And because the the galaxy is spanning Santaran versus Rutan War. I mean, um, I am surprised. I'm always kind of surprised that they haven't tried the Rutans again. I don't know if they sort of just can't get by past what they're envisaged uh, as here and they just think we can't not make that stupid, if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah. So, well, I mean, obviously the Santarans have, have popped up a few times and yeah. let's not beat around the bush are kind of dumb also. So, <laughs> dumb looking. I mean, um, there's only so much you could be really intimidated by a sort of, you know, a baked potato in a soup. But <laughs> it's... 
I don't know why. I, I sort of don't know why they haven't had another go at the Rutans in some way, shape, or form. Well, well I do oh, have to say that as as much as I uh, underestimated the special effect of the Rutan, um, or Rutan, sorry. Um, no, I'm just being. It's my common. No, no, no. Don't they, worry they, about it. You can say Rutan. They pronounce <laughs> it both ways in the show. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do have a problem with imagining them being any sort of adversary for the Centaurans. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if it's. I mean, because they have sort of the Zygony thing of, um, you know, body print shapeshiftery. Yeah. So you. Yeah, but you it's know, not like if, they can just touch you and, and suddenly they're they're a different form. You had to like disassemble a guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but then again, I suppose if it's galaxy spanning, you can just find a you know a a race of brick shit houses and you go like uh, form of these guys and. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't think of that that aspect of it. You're right. That, okay, I, I withdraw my objection. <laughs> no, I, I I think that's it. You would have to just do that annoying thing of like they're in in the form of like something else much cooler looking for the entire time. <laughs> Hmm. And I think also you mentioned the Zygons, and I think that's probably why they haven't brought the Rutans back because you've yeah, got actually. a more effective sort of shape shifting alien race in the form of the Zygons. I mean, yes, we haven't seen very much of them since the series came back. It was Day of the Doctor in the Zygon two part in series nine. But apart from that, I mean, I think of the two, the Zygons are a bit more like identifiable. You know, there's a bit more bank in them, I'd imagine. Yeah, they they have a very sort of. I mean, it's that thing about that you should recognise an alien by its outline mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, I don't yeah. know where that comes from, but obviously, if it's just a blob, then you, you're with ten with Tracy just a jellyfish. I mean, cause they are in one of the adventure games. They're in the um, the Guy Fawkes one that we talked to. Yeah, they are right. the Rutans are. So, but in that, they're they're much bigger. They kind of hover at eye level. They sort of got jellyfish tendrils. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if they would sort of do do that as opposed to just you know a a blob on a step like they do in uh, in this one. Mm. But I mean, as well, you sort of say thank God for people kind of taking the script seriously because you know tom baker having an intellectual throwdown with a um you know a, a bag full of green stuff <laughs> could be dreadful but they mm. make it work well that's one thing i've always loved about doctor who and i think it's 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 biggest strength even even the, the you know some of the crappiest episodes y'all have made me watch um <laughs> we is... didn't think they were crappy by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> is the utter devotion the bbc actors have to their craft is you know, no matter how ludicrous the script they're handed, no matter how ridiculous the situations, uh, the actors on every episode of Doctor Who I've ever seen are absolutely committed to their parts. And that, you know, that can cover a, a multitude of sins. It really can, yeah. Mm. But I think that it's um, it, it's kind of maybe one of the best examples of one of one of the tropes of Doctor Who, which is the base under siege story. Yeah. As yeah. as the bottle show is to Star Trek, the base under siege story is is to um, is to Doctor Who, and I think this is one of the best examples in that what really makes it work is the pace because. Mm. Um, this era of Doctor Who is notably bloodthirsty, right? Because oh. I mean, because there are there are episodes. I mean, Pyramids of Mars for one, where everybody in it, apart from the Doctor and Companion, dies. This mm-hmm. one, everybody in it, apart from the Doctor and Companion, dies. Yeah. And um, and the Doctor blows up a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, uh, so you know, there is just carnage in this episode, but 
it, the way it's paced, like it's like a, it, it's sort of paced in the way of like a like an expert horror movie paces uh, the deaths and stuff. Because every time they think that something, you know, they're getting there and then there's another death and then there's this and this and this. So the tension ramps up in a really a genuinely scary way i think i think it's it's genuinely tense even if you know what's going to happen it's i mean in in a way i mean it is unfortunate that sometimes these deaths kind of lose a little bit of impact because you know obviously the doctor and companions plot armor at this point is you know a mile wide and is mm-hmm. no way gonna be it really are they in any serious peril so but you'd usually bet on one of these characters making it out to see the TARDIS disappear at the end. Mm. So the fact it's total carnage <laughs> and the pacing of that carnage, it makes it really effective. I mean, um, it is essentially, I mean, because I watched it the other day again for the bazillionth time. It is the thing done by Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially with the, the body taking apart and mm. all that sort of thing. I mean, obviously it isn't, like the <laughs> 80s thing oh, no. um but it, no it is in that way of people you know mm. someone comes back and then someone disappears and where have they gone and all that sort of thing yeah, it's yeah. like that that sort of tension continues throughout mm. i was impressed with their willingness to go to you know they didn't really show it the, the, you know we get just a little glimpse of of blood but you know the what happened to him well post it, you know they find the body mutilated mm-hmm um, and they don't, sh- they didn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, we aren't yet to the point of like bones where we're seeing horrible mutilations all the time on network television. But I, I thought that that, that the gruesomeness of that, uh, and the fact that, you know, that they're obviously carrying a body that's a whole lot lighter than it used to be mm-hmm. <laughs> just <laughs> off camera. Uh, yeah. was, that was impressively gruesome for the time. Yeah, I mean, what they could sort of get away with and not was was becoming a subject of debate. But forgive mm. me if I'm wrong. It wasn't they weren't quite at the. Oh no, actually, Deadly Assassin was was a sort of big point bone of contention. But yeah. they were they were in the in the era of of I don't know if you know about her Rick uh, Mary Whitehouse, what a sort of self appointed moral crusader uh, of of the time, who yeah. complained or basically. Just dreadful woman who sort of complained about you know sex on tv and violence on tv and things that she thought that that um you know kids could imitate and things like that and doctor who was kind of the subject of uh, many of her uh, um irate rants about uh you know the lack of morality on television and she had it, she took great exceptions to the deadly assassin which preceded this uh, a few is that the one before. where the master was all like Rice Krispie Street yeah. skull face. Yeah, yeah. yeah she because there's this sequence. I don't know if you remember. The Doctor is uh, held underwater. His head is held underwater, and that's the cliffhanger. And Mary Whitehouse, who an absolute epi about this, um, saying that you know children will think the Doctor's been drowning for a week. Oh, relax, love. You know, but <laughs> the point that, you know. So, but the problem is, I mean, um, she was sort of her her campaign and her moral crusade was kind of ramping up at this point. Um, but it's it hasn't quite impacted Doctor Who yet. It will in the future, like how, what they do and don't show on screen and or imply even. Um, uh, so at this point, they're still able to get away with having mutilated corpses, um, but it, it will become an issue later on. Mm-hmm. 
Another thing I loved about Leela was towards the end, she gloats really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the line, enjoy your death as much as I enjoyed killing you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you shouldn't enjoy that, but you, you can't help but, can you, really? Yeah. I mean, she's... Um, yeah. Well, especially in this time when female characters were either handy hostages or mm-hmm. just scenery... Uh, for Leela to be such a badass was just so much fun because it was like you you would see you'd see it every time the doctor would go somewhere we'd be like Leela stay here fuck you I'm going with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do wonder if actually uh, we, we've kind of made you watch this at the wrong time of year because I want to be watching this under a blanket drinking tea, not sweating <laughs> bullets in front of a fan. <laughs> mm, true. Uh, I, I kind of enjoyed the 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 coldness in the middle of summer. So, um, well, you know, one thing I really, that, that stood out to me and y'all probably didn't even notice it, but because of my vocation, uh, just the accuracy of the set. Now, I don't know if they built this set for the show or if they happen to have some lighthouse sets from another BBC production, who knows? Um, Uh, then, then I'm doubly impressed because while the, the lighthouse room was really cool with the, the, you know, the, the rotating light and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, the crew room and also, and also the, the, uh, Oh hell, what was his name? Ruben's room. But I'm assuming they yeah. used the same set, just, just different, just redressed it. The curved door impressed the hell out of me. Yeah. That did really do a good job on this. And I think basically they just went and got some like children's books out of the library. Um, as a reference point, <laughs> because Terry yeah. Six family said, I, I don't know anything about lighthouses. I don't know why I have this story, but damn it, I'm going to do it. And yeah, basically it was that. And um, it's interesting because this actually was not filmed in Television Centre in London. Um, I think they were having some renovations doing. So this ended up being mm. filmed in Birmingham at um, BBC's famous Pebble Mill uh, Studios, which... Um, for uh, UK um, people of a certain age, will remember the sort of this iconic, dinner, uh, yes. yeah, it's like a mid-morning sort of early lunchtime sort of sort of um, television show. I'm trying to think like what would be a good analogy for you, Rick? Kind of like maybe it's like Good Morning America. <sighs> yeah, okay. sort mm-hmm. of like a bit, it was. It was on mid-morning, and it was sort of like a, what I would call like a magazine show. Yes. So they would have like they would have like current affairs stuff, and then they'd have like an agony aunt bit. Mm-hmm. And then it would be sort of famous chef comes comes and shows you a good way to use up leftover leeks. And then, but then they'd have they'd sw- they'd swerve from that to something incredibly serious, like um, such and such is battle with anorexia or something like that. And it would be like, have a good afternoon, goodbye, and it'd be finished by you know it was on between like half ten and half twelve. But I associate yeah. it with being ill because it was something that your <laughs> mum would watch in the middle morning when you were home from school poorly. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it was. I mean, for me and Mike's generation. It was the, the sort of the icon. I mean, did they was it the map stuff they used to do at Pebble Mills well with um, oh, the jumping on map. the the, the floating I mean, map? Yeah, that was this morning. That was this morning. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, was, yeah that's, that was this morning. I think yeah. Right. Okay. So this is a bit where I explained on another one of these magazine shows that was called This Morning. It sort of came after Pebble Mill. Um, they used to have uh, a, fe- a weatherman outside on like a they had a body water outside the studios, and they had a big floating map of the UK. <laughs> And and to do the weather, he would jump around the map and say, right, so in London today, it will be sunny. And then he'd jump over the, and it was always a scary <laughs> bit when he would jump from Cornwall over to Ireland. 
because obviously there's a there was a big bit of water Gap, between yeah. them. <laughs> yeah and you know so um but yes it was kind of the the sort of those programs were kind of the things of uh, of our childhood so um yeah so it so back dragging us back to the point uh yeah, filming at pebble mill was was kind of you know outside of the acton hilton as they used to call it which was the uh the bbc's rehearsal studios in in london it's kind of the the place to film mm. in in the or it used to be in the uk so well i was just impressed because i you know uh, i've built doors and they're kind of a pain in the butt to build but a curved door which makes perfect sense because the rooms inside the lighthouse would be cylindrical uh was just that that you know, if they hadn't done that, probably two people would have noticed. Uh, but they did it, and it just—it was just a beautiful attention to detail. Cool. Well, I mean, you're right, Rick. I mean, that does kind of pass me by, certainly a little bit. But I mean, I always appreciate. I mean, I, I always bring it up that if you want a period piece from the BBC, you will get the mm. most accurate period piece you've ever had in your life, and. Uh, yeah, um, if they say we want a, a space corridor, then you'll get some white lino. But if you say I want a period accurate <laughs> nineteen nineteen, uh, well, no, is it nineteen or eighteen hundreds lighthouse? They'll go right you up and uh, bang you up one in a, in a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> well, have I ever told you guys about the BBC sound effects library? Uh, no. no. Um, we have in our in our library at school, and I've I've also had it in in other libraries. It it, it got a lot more use back in the days before MP3s were available. Mm. Um, it's a 50 CD set, uh, expensive as fuck. Uh, so you know, usually you're you're only going to find it in like a library, mm. um, which is just full of sound effects from BBC productions. And if you need sound effects for a show or a movie or something, it's a great resource with one problem. If you're looking for a generic toilet flush, you may not find it. But if <laughs> if you need a black and white bar, you know, Barbados titmouse sitting on a Hyde Park branch at 4 a.m. in just December, that's there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's where your license fee goes, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, all our hard-earned money is definitely going to a bloke is sitting in a cupboard you know smoking a fag and then like a light goes on and he's like oh, right, well and he's flipping through a load of LPs looking for the, <laughs> for, the, for the um I mean it's the joke that I've made before I think about that uh, on the Lord of the Rings you know if you buy the very you know posh edition like Lord of the Rings DVDs or Blu-rays I suppose on the like the Return of the King one and they're going around all the sets you know and people have been working on things for 10 years there's just that they go, they sort of happen upon a basement and it's just a bloke who's been making chainmail a mithril mm. for for ten years, and that's literally all he does. I, I, everyone's like, <laughs> sort of walks past him, and like, oh, you, this is where they make the chainmail. Just a <laughs> <laughs> just one blow with a pair of pliers and a lot of metal, you know, metal rings, just <laughs> just for day, years and years and years on end. That's kind of what it's like. I think <laughs> that's a steady gig, I suppose. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's worth the RSI, I suppose, definitely. Mm. Um, I was also that, proud of myself because Alan Rowe, who played Skinsdale, which is a wonderful name, hmm. uh, was in two other Doctor Who episodes. I didn't, I didn't recognize him as a different character. I was just like, I've seen that dude before. Yeah, and, yeah, he was in the Moonbase. Um, and he was also in uh, the Time Warrior as Edward of Wessex. 
Yeah. So I mean, there's quite a few um, of the cast in here have been in Doctor Who uh, as well. Um, Colin Douglas, who was the who played Ruben in the Voice of the Root and was in Enemy of the World, and uh, Ralph Watson, who was Ben, um, appeared in The Web of Fear as Captain Knight and Edison, Monster of Paladon. So it's sort of hmm. like a, a nice like few like uh, returning guest faces. Not like anybody massively like famous, but you're like, oh yeah, I know you. Yes, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, that's the thing. I mean, I think it, it does happen, but you know, like it used to happen on the X Files all the time. People mm-hmm. would, would pop up because you know we're we're in Vancouver. I know I need a, a bloke who sort of six feet, six foot, and has like five lines. Oh, I know somebody mm-hmm. and ring them up. So that's mm-hmm. why you have sort of the same people popping up. I mean, it's I mean we've had two two of our doctors have been in the show before. So I mean, yeah. it <laughs> seems like a good way to get a steady gig, right? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About the only problem I have with this episode is I have three pages of notes from Mask of Mandragora. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight notes from this show, and half of them are how much I love Leela. <laughs> <laughs> when the show is this problem. good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say that actually. When it's tight and it all works, and you wouldn't, you know, there's no fat in it, and you know, it may, all of it makes sense, mm. and the 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 um, the alien design is good, and everyone in it is good, and then mm. you go, great. So how are we going to talk about this? <laughs> so, I mean, ironically, when I mean, I've always found this actually, it's much doing these sort of shows. It's much easier to complain about things than to say you really like them. Mm. Bad as that is. Um, our, our longest shows by far are us just complaining about things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not to say that Horror Fan Rock doesn't have its few quibbles. I mean, like, the the main, like, lighthouse set, you can tell it's surrounded by CSO because it's always got that sort of, like, aura The ready around... glow, as I yeah. call it, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that can't be helped. Um, yeah. I always thought the cliffhanger to part one was a bit pony. I think it's sort of, like, it goes on a bit too long. It's not... It's not a terrible idea but it, no, it right. does go on a, like far too long and it's not a particularly convincing model shot either um, yeah yeah but on the other hand at least it's not as contrived as a lot of the cliffhangers are oh that's true in some episodes true i mean it makes sense within the context of the story um it's just like when, when the, you see like the the yachts like slowly like being clearly being tugged along this <laughs> the model set by uh, some bloke off camera and it's uh, then it crashes into the rocks and it's like, okay, we're going to get to the end credits. Now here comes a light in the sky and there's another one. Oh, here's the end credits. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it, it's just one of those things that could just be tightened up a bit. you know? Yeah, I, I do admit when they started talking about the captain being killed in the crash, I'm like, what was he like strapped <laughs> to the front of the boat? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like how uh, the sixth Doctor regenerated. He fell off an exercise bike and banged his head. Um, <laughs> It's like death by falling over. <laughs> death by plot convenience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I did find uh, Palmerdale and company. They are very much there to just like flesh out the cast and like extend the story out because although there is, I don't want to say a bit of intrigue behind like what's what's going on with Palmerdale. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because he's going to die. You know he is. Um, but at the same time, I understand why they had these extra people shipped in just to be killed off, because otherwise you're down to two guest cast, and then that becomes a little bit more difficult to sort of like make into a four-episode story. 
Yeah, I mean, and they're in, in quite a confined space. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like there's only four of them, on, but on a massive ship. Yeah. There's, you know, there, there would be four of them in a cone, or no, in you know, in a cylinder, essentially. Mm. So the problem is you, you can't sort of long it out by sort of having Leela go off with someone else and the Doctor is, is with the other one person, and then they're off in separate places having an adventure each essentially mm-hmm. it's too confined a space for that so you need to put some cannon fodder in it to yeah. make it oh, no, i absolutely understand it. it's just um, yeah i think i think it's mostly just like adelaide just like the really sort of like sore thumb out of it i mean she's very much uh, god she's irritating <laughs> <laughs> so well, when it, she's killed instead of being scary like they wanted to be i was just like thank christ yeah. <laughs> that, that i that sort of confused me when i watched it back is like when um, Reuben the Rootin sort of comes into the um, the room, Leela's standing in front of them branching a knife, right? So when mm-hmm. it, then it sort of cuts to the Doctor doing something else. Then it cuts back, and somehow Reuben's gotten around Leela, grabbed onto Adelaide, and killed her. So like, hang on a second, and you know Leela's still got a knife. So did you just teleport or something? How did that happen? <laughs> or did she actually like push Adelaide towards Ruben the Rootin just to get her out of the way? And I, to be honest, if that happened, I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> yeah, I would respect it. <laughs> now, now I, I have to ask a question because mm. uh, I'm I'm an asshole that way. Is Ruben the Rootin something you just came up with, or is that how he's a, a referred to in fan circles? I think the Doctor actually calls him that, doesn't he? Yeah, and also in the commentary, if you listen to the commentary on the DVD, mm-hmm. Terence Dix calls him that all the time. So I think okay. it's just sort of caught, caught on. Um, I do wonder if they called him that sort of on the set and because he's referred, the, you know, the, the people who made it have, have referred to that in, in conventions and things like that. It's kind of just uh, mm. caught on. It's like okay. one of those things, like you know, like Time Lash. Everyone calls it lame shit because <laughs> it's, it's an that's the that's the anagram of it. Warriors on the cheap for Warriors on the deep. <laughs> things, think, things like that. So one of these things that just sort of catches on, I think. Mm. Okay. So I don't think he's like credited as Ruben the Rutan, such and such no, person. So. No. I, I was just wondering if that's something you you came up with just on the spot here, or <laughs> oh god, no, we're not that clever. No, okay. no. <laughs> no. it's too hot for that. You see, I I get a kick out of stuff like this though because, you know the, you know I'm so immersed in Star Trek fandom that I love to hear idiosyncrasies from other fandoms like that. Hmm. Uh, you know, because stuff like that you know wouldn't occur to me either, uh, because it's just something I watched twice in my lifetime now. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, you ask me about Star Trek, and I'm I've got a million things like that. So I I really get a kick out of the window into other fandoms, uh, you know, into the 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 Doctor Who fandom that you all give. That's why I love your show so much. Okay. There's a lot of times when you guys are talking, and I'm like, I have no fucking clue what y'all are talking about. But it's... <laughs> oh, I, I, I hope not because I I do feel kind of bad about that because I feel like um I mean because we do try and explain things as we go, don't we? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I do sometimes worry I'm sort of teaching my grandmother to suck eggs because. <laughs> Um, there, but you know, I, I, that's that's good then, I, I guess you know. Yeah. So, um, but, but I do, you know, yeah. I do the same thing on the Starbase. I'll I'll get deep into Esoterica, and and you know, hopefully, someone else on the show will go, dude. You know, <laughs> well, it's, really it's like, in. <laughs> it's like how we often sort of like refer to like the we and the not we, which is like a reference to yes. Tinder. It's basically the we is like the Doctor Who fans, and the not we are everybody else who aren't. It's like <laughs> yeah, or more sort of like the casual viewers. If you know what I mean, um, but we, 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 we try certainly. 
Yeah, the other one is as well. What did Russell T called the people who were really spotty about Doctor Who? What is it? The no, 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 no. I want to say not, it's not NIMBYs, is it? It's the God, I can't remember now. Can't remember Russell now. T had a, had a phrase for it, I can't remember now. Oh. Bugger, that's going to annoy me all day. Mm. Um, but <laughs> um, what do you think of the term Whovian? Hate it, yeah, okay. Yeah, don't use it. That's why. I, that's why I have hooligan in my um. In, that's, that's my. That's my. That is my preferred collective noun. Um, a lot of Doctor Who fans in this country don't use it because it was something that. Uh, this is going to sound awful, but it was an American word. Came thing came out of America, mm. the Whovian. So a lot of the old school British Doctor Who fans that I know won't use it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the first the first time I heard it was in 1983 in Gainesville, Florida. So, uh, you know, I'm not at all surprised that it's a it's an American thing because we're kind of stupid that way. <laughs> but... I mean, to be honest, I mean, a lot of the collective downs for, for fans of things I find of kind of not entirely embraced by the fan that it describes. If you see mm, what I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, like the whole thing of calling X-Files fans, X-Files, but with a PH. Oh, I hadn't heard that, that one. Yeah, yeah no. with a, see, I can, yeah, I can um, see like the root in that because obviously affiliators are yes. love or passionate desire about things. So I can see that. I don't really get where Whovian came from. Like, I, I, I like, don't where's, know. Where's like, like the root of the the, the term? Like, yeah, like, I mean, like hmm. for some reason, I don't know why, but it only seems to be fans of like genre telly that end up with these kind of appellations yeah. like you know obviously we, we're fans of american football teams no mm-hmm. one's calling me like lion o well i mean you know just the sad person in my in my case but uh, <laughs> the angry one yeah. um but uh, yeah i mean for some reason these these kind of appellations don't don't make anywhere I mean, they, there are some in, in for football teams here, I mean, obviously a lot of them have nicknames, and then mm-hmm. obviously the fans of that team take on that nickname as self-identifiers. Um, yeah. But for some reason, not everyone not everyone gets one, and I don't really know why. Yeah. You would think it would be kind of universal or not? Yeah, well, do you see, I mean, I'm trying to think of it, but I can't even think of this like a collective term for Star Wars fans. Um... I could say several unpleasant things at this point. But I won't. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, but yeah, you know there, what is I mean? no, there is no, no word for Star Wars fans. Yeah, um, no. But you've got like brown coats for Firefly, but that mm. that, that at least to be honest, they gave, they gave themselves that name, and I don't yeah. think that's cool. You can't you can't make up your own nickname. <laughs> that's not allowed. The the only thing that yeah, I was trying to think of where Whovian came from. It makes me think of Whoville. That's the only thing I can think of, but Dr. I Seuss. don't... Because well, Whovian is... doesn't... There needs to be another consonant in there, because Whovian doesn't work. No. Whovi is kind of stupid. Not that Whovian isn't, but Whovian at least sounds a little more legit than, than like, Whovi or... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Whovi well, just sounds like a long-lost cousin of Scooby-Doo, so... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, plenty of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a strange strange thing. I'll just Google it to see if anyone is going to take responsibility for this. The Doctor Who Fan Club of America, apparently. Ah, there you go. Who formerly produced a newsletter entitled The Whovian Times. There you go. So it's all their all their fault. Yeah. 
Thanks. Um, so no, but I think that's just why all sort of, especially like the older generation of of nerds, um, Doctor Who nerds anyway, kind of you know reject these labels because mm. um, you know someone else thought of it before they could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, I think if they like tried to coin a term, it'd be very much, much more of a deeper cut. Somehow, oh, it would like, be, be so sad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking because the I don't know if you're aware of this, Rick, but I mean, sort of way back in the day, so in the 70s. I mean, this is how I met Chuck. The um, the 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 idea of the local group. Um, it's actually if you go look at Love and Monsters, it's what uh, Linda is uh, kind of a, a reflection of mm-hmm. yeah, from that story. The idea that there was the Doctor Who fan crew the dwas the doctor appreciation society um and then out of the dwas there would be what were called local groups so like in every in most major cities in sort of smaller towns as well there would be the the local sort of officially recognized if you like doctor who fan group um and then they would usually give themselves names, which you, you do generally like in London there are a few there was one called the Sisterhood of Khan which was all gay dudes <laughs> um, that's brilliant <laughs> um, Chuck's, Chuck's group was the type 40s uh, no no Chuck's group I used to be in one called the type 40s that, that Chuck group was called the Temporal Renovators and the type 40s and Temporal Renovators had like a, a crossover thing and that's how I met Chuck was through I thought you were going to say a turf war no, it wasn't a turf war. No, the, <laughs> some amazing. of them there, there, there were some turf wars about who doesn't like who and all this sort of thing. But yeah, um, I mean, because they used to have, like because we've got a, a sci-fi magazine over here, quite a long running called SFX, mm-hmm. and people there used to be adverts like personal ads in the back of SFX yeah. years and years ago, yes. and so yes, and so people would advertise, you know, come and join my local such and such a group, and um, there were some Star Trek ones, but I remember <laughs> that when I was looking around for, to see if there were some, the only one i could find we had like a geo cities website <laughs> and, ev- and everyone was referred to by rank oh geez and i was like i cannot be a part of it <laughs> oh no no i was like oh no so, so clearly but... the, clearly the person in charge was lord president <laughs> no there was like a, an admiral and then oh, right. captain and but That's i feel like they went to the pub what? <laughs> i feel like they went to the pub and then referred to each other as you know by rank and i was like no i i, I can't be no. doing with this but i mean the star trek i mean the doctor who ones varied in, in seriousness i mean but you know because the sister i was sort of warned that don't mess with the sisterhood of khan they're weird <laughs> um <laughs> Shout out to anyone who might listen to this who was part of the Sisterhood of Khan. I don't know if they're around still. Um, so is that in-universe or the fan group? Because, I mean, it could go either way. The fan group I'm talking about, the fan oh. group. Um, yeah, because I was obviously when I saw Sisterhood of Khan, I thought, oh, it's all, all girls, great. And then put one of, someone, when I first met, you know, people in, in the Temporal Renovators, they said, no, don't, don't, no. Uh, no, there, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is, um, but, yeah, there was sort of... Uh, Lots of different groups, sort of some bigger and, and more recognised than others. But yeah, um, this this is I, I know well. I mean, it, you know, it's it is spotty to give yourself sort of a club name like if you know eight year old in a fucking treehouse. But I mean, this was in the days before Doctor Who was cool again, so you had to uh, to make do with what um, what you had. <laughs> hmm. Well, if if we could go back to the episode, that I'm, I'm sorry, I totally derailed us on. <laughs> no, that. it's cool. <laughs> um, you said that the, uh, the 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 addition of the of the ship's crew was kind of just to add more more cannon fodder, but you know, I, yes, I, I mean they certainly fulfilled that that role as needing you know more people to to victimize here. But 
I really thought that the the commentary on the aristocracy and and uh, uh, was was. I mean, I okay. As an American, I've never had to live with this quite as blatantly as y'all do. We certainly have classes over here. We just don't call them that mm-hmm. uh, until they get in the fucking White House. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know the the Palm Palm Palmerdale 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 yeah Palmerdale. Uh, you know his absolute disdain for everybody with him, and his belief that his position entitled him to order them around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they're in a situation where none of his influence matters, and they all tell him basically to fuck off. Yeah. Um, Ab- Abigail, yeah, Abigail's utter uselessness. Yeah. Uh, and then you know the the one guy that you think you can sort of respect, uh, he turns out to be you know a greedy fuck too, and that gets mm-hmm. him killed. Um, you know, I I just. If they were put in as cannon fodder, at least they didn't. They, they put a story behind them. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and gave oh, it a yeah. good reason. Yeah, I mean, and it is always. I mean, as well. I mean, it is a plane to the to the cheap seats a little bit because, um, although obviously the the class system is not like it is as such, like it is um, in sort of in the time period that they portray in the episode. I mean, the majority of people who are watching this are working class, so mm-hmm. it's always nice to. Uh, see the aristocracy uh, eat shit for uh, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, especially at this time and and now i mean you know the tories are in power and they're always kind of associated with the people who are in the tory party generally are um or the conservative party i should say are sort of the more inverted compass upper class people mm-hmm. and it's uh, and it's certainly the case then and it still is the case now um that uh, a lot of the, the the tory grandees and stuff the people who run the you know since you run the lives of the people watching this uh have no idea what it's like to 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 live as as uh as working class people do so um mm. yeah it's always gonna it's always gonna appeal to people especially you gotta remember who's writing this terence Dix is is no great fan of the landed gentry and mm. uh, all mm. these sort of people so um i think you're always that's that's gonna that's going to be a part of, of Doctor Who went if he's got anything to do with it. I mean, and, and as well, I mean, sort of the third Doctor aside, um, the, do- uh, the Doctor generally has never really had much time for these uh, posh idiots, really. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I would say kind of the, the main criticism of the third Doctor really, uh, for me, and has always been, is that he's far too lovey you know, posh and, you know, mm. gets along with, you know, very old, yes, old chap and all this sort of thing, especially when he's dealing with people, you know, who come back, you know, crashing into unit to demand things. Mm. Um, he's, he's far too much of the old boys network, whereas nearly every other doctor has had, has had no time whatsoever for, for this. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's always going to be, I mean, it is nice that it's not a case of like, you know, you have, 10 working you know working class guys getting slaughtered and then you know it's just the in in sort of the amiable posh one who makes it through to the end it's like no we are all equally garbage in the eyes of the rootins and uh gonna die (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't like mind the inclusion of like the aristos it's just um Mm -hmm. it just seems like they 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 had to try and like stretch it out a bit and um i mean the the sort of like the little sort of drama they have between them is interesting because i mean palmerdale is very much sort of like you get the sense he's more sort of new money um mm, yeah whereas skin sales sort of like the old money and he's sort of like he's a bit of a legend he's sort of like 
he's you can tell he's sort of he's in a bit of of pickle himself, which is why he ends up doing some of the crappy shit that he does, like sabotaging the the wireless. Um, and basically fucking over any chance of uh, getting rescued, which is well done there. Um, mm. So I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean I understand their inclusion, but it, I think it also like helps to provide a bit more of a hindrance to the Doctor and uh, Leela when they're trying to like sort this shit out when they're uh, got their own these little petty squabbles, it's like running interference. Um, yeah, but mostly it's just like Adelaide's just like, oh, just gosh, she's so irritating. There's yeah. a, I mean, there's, there's one of those points where she's, like, making a protest. You almost expect her to go, I'm going to scream and scream until I make myself sick. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Jesus Christ. But anyway. Now, did it bother either of you that we never did find out what was going on between Palmdale and Skinsdale? No, and I think that, in a way, it kind of doesn't matter because they're just going to get killed off. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's intriguing that they imply it. It's, a, it's very yeah. much implied as to what happened, but it's never like really got into because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, they've got the skeletons in the closets and they sort of like go, I know, you know, and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's that's not the doctor's problem. You know, when uh, Palmer Dale's like complaining, it's like, oh, I must get back to like you know, port and, like, get a train to London. He goes, uh, oh, I see, you've got no chance in this fog. And he just buggers off. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it didn't bother me at all. In fact, I was impressed that they they gave it as much attention as it deserved and, and absolutely no more. Mm. Um, I think a lesser show would have wasted time fleshing yeah. that out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think to be honest, if if this had been a six-parter, you would have you oh. would have heard a bunch more about it. But I think yeah. that um, a, a taut schedule means that uh, it, it kind of doesn't matter, like you say, and it's good that they don't waste time on it. But I think that that is purely a function of how much real estate Terence Dix has got to use in this in mm-hmm. this serial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I say I think it was five or six. Then hundred percent, you would have heard it in excruciating detail. Oh. One other thing that that does. It didn't bother me while watching it, but now that I'm thinking about it, uh, it, it did sort of tickle the back of my head. If the doctor really gave a shit about the telegraph, why didn't he use it way sooner? Um. Mm, I mean, to be honest, this, this is where you sort of get into Dr. Morality problems. Hmm. Um, because for me, I always feel like, especially at this sort of point with Tom Baker's portrayal of the doctor... Um, he does take that thing of like he's he's he views all there's there's an argument to be made that he's kind of viewing the he, although he wants to save everybody and make sure that everyone's all right he does take a bigger view and is sort of a thing of like oh I can sort this out don't need the telegraph at the moment oh shit mm-hmm. now it's serious now I need it so I think it is kind of a thing of not really entirely taking this as seriously maybe as he could do <laughs> from yeah. the beginning. Mm-hmm. I wonder, um, I wonder if it's a case of, like, at the time, they didn't really know what they were dealing with. So, yeah. you know, do you try and, like, flag the authorities for what could be, you know, much of a do about nothing? Um, but, I mean, you are right. <laughs> but yeah. at the end of the day, it doesn't get the chance to use it because Skin Cell decides to sabotage it for his own self-protection. Yeah, I think it, it, it's almost like he takes an attitude of my attitude to household repairs. I can fix that. I can fix that. 
stuck in this oh fuck i need someone to come and do this for me <laughs> um so <laughs> um so yeah he, he sort of he reaches that horizon of like I, I i i can sort this i can sort this don't worry about it and then the option is taken away and it's like okay i you know it would have just been easier if i called someone about the guttering in the first place rather than try and fix it myself it's that sort of thing <laughs> yeah one thing i actually um remembered about horror fang rock is this this um got quite a controversial airing on uh, in america in 1987 oh, yes Yes, um, on Chicago PBS station WTTW, it was suddenly hijacked by an unknown perpetrator. 90 seconds of part one was replaced by a pre-recorded clip of an unidentified man dressed as TV's Max Headroom. Who oh, various, that! Yeah, various non-sequiturs that uh, loved to compose of jabs at uh, numerous companies and Chuck Squirsky. He also moaned and laughed a lot, complained about his hemorrhoids, flipped off the viewers, put on and immediately discarded a glove covered in quote-unquote blood spots, and ended the broadcast by being spanked by an accomplice whose face was off-screen dressed as a French maid. And the interesting thing about this is they've never found out who that was. Yes. But you can find the video of it on YouTube. Oh, yeah, it's, it's there. It's yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not as interesting as you might expect it to be. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But it is now, the, the main point of interest in yes, the, the Max Headroom signal intrusion, I believe that's known as uh, mm. in 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 my uh, as a child spent many wasted hours reading about unsolved mysteries and uh, weird and wonderful things about the uh, the Earth. It was one of those things that, that came up, and yes, the fact that still to this day no one knows who who did it and why is uh, is intriguing. But you mm. would have thought someone would have come popped up and said, "Oh yeah, it's me and my mate, and we we did it this or that way." Um, but no, it's uh, it's uh, never come up. And considering that that was thirty-one years ago, um, yeah. it was uh, you would have thought someone would have spilled the beans by now. You'd have thought. I don't know if it's like a statute of limitations on things like that. <laughs> is it a crime? I, I don't know. A misdemeanor at best. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's not like a federal crime, is it? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Because, I mean, it's not like the hijacking the airwaves to make a demand or something. They just did it to fuck about. Or to, you know, um, initiate the emergency broadcast system or something like I, that and yeah, freak I everyone mean, out. Yeah, like setting off the emergency broadcast system or sort of pretending that, you know, there was a, a, a nuclear strike happening or something, yeah, that would be a crime because obviously, you know, there's all sorts of bad shit that could happen because of it. But this was just like a very, very weird prank. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's funny to someone, <laughs> but I think a lot of people would just be like going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that's the weird thing about it is it's, it's not like some super criminal <laughs> doing anything. It, it, it makes no sense. There's no manifesto. There's no message. Mm. There's, it's just a, a you know, a, a, two people being unhinged for what? What did you say? 30, 90 seconds, something 90 seconds, like that. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it and you just the the write up. If you you know, like the 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 reason I looked it up is kind of the same thing as you, Emma. I was like trolling through YouTube videos of unexplained mysteries, and ninety percent of them were this is bullshit. It was explained forty <laughs> years ago. You just didn't read <laughs> far enough. Um, <laughs> Not saying it was aliens. <laughs> uh, you know and then you get to that thing and you're like "Ooh, this is cool and then they you see the tape and you're like wow that was pointless <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's they're always they're always slightly disappointing like the one we just had the other day with that fucking the black sarcophagus that they found did oh, you see yeah. that <laughs> have you seen I, the latest I, thing that people want to drink the goo that's in it 
what yeah there's like there's a queue of people apparently have written it written to whoever opened it saying you know apparently this is like the elixir of life please let us drink the oh, raw sewage that's yeah. in this sarcophagus oh jeez <laughs> the raw sewage and, and mummy leavings <laughs> Darwinism in action ladies and gentlemen uh. yes please drink it and I'll you know observe what happens to you spoiler <laughs> alert it's the horrible shits um but um yeah, everyone was sort of like, it's. I mean, it was worth it for the hilarious kind of snarky tweets that I saw about, we haven't finished all the side quests yet, we can't open it. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, all, they always turned out slightly disappointing, because everyone, seriously, there were some people who were like, ooh, perhaps it's Alexander the Great. Um, but uh, no, it was no. just a, a box of poo, yeah. <laughs> literally. Some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the the supposed uh, unopened room in Tut's tomb that you know they they got oh, about two or three well, years worth exist. of mileage out of that, <laughs> and then they finally brought in the real radar equipment. And went no, nah, there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, all the, all the King Tut stuff is is bullshit. All of it, all like all the curse and stuff. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. All the you know the death will come on swift wings to anyone who opens this tomb sort of thing. All oh, whole shit. Yeah. Everyone yeah. you know the lot. Of, everyone who died died as a result of being alive in the 19th century, which was really <laughs> hazardous <laughs> to being alive. <laughs> that, well, yeah, um, didn't, didn't one of them die like 20 years after the event? Yes, and then the newspaper was like, "Curse strikes again." It's like what? <laughs> What? You just live today. Yeah, exactly. You just live today. If you can't, you can't have that. Um, I mean, but the thing is, I mean, Harold. I mean, I will give Harold Carter the the. the I mean, a little bit. I mean, because he he did die in a stupid way hmm. um, from an infected mosquito bite killed him. Um, mm. And but the thing is, though, then everyone was like, "Oh, but the bite was in the exact place as the, uh, the spot on King Tut's mummy." Shut up! No, it wasn't. It was just <laughs> he just cut himself shaving where there was a mosquito bite and died of septicemia, like bloody nearly everyone else he probably knew in his life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oi. Oh, anyway, we've strayed way off topic. Shall we? Yeah. Um, shall we wrap this this bad boy up then? Shall we, lads? seems a logical point to do so okay. yes right so let us know your thoughts you can email us at greatershow at simplysyndicated.com tweet us at greatershowpod or you can visit our facebook page at facebook.com slash greatershowpodcast we invite you to visit simplysyndicated.com and check out our many sister shows on the network and as always we welcome your support the best way you can help us out is by signing up to Simply Everything. A monthly fee of just £6 gives you access to ad-free versions of current shows, a library of podcasts from the network's archives, and shows that are exclusive to the service. We also have a merchandise store that offers apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. We also have a Patreon, and you can donate to the network through PayPal, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So with that being said, thank you very much, Rick. Thank you. It was a pleasure as always. And thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. Until next time, take care and bye-bye. 